Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all heck dang yeah we have made it to friday and boy seems like every day we leave here a whole bunch of stuff happens in a 24-hour period they just can't get it done before 1 o'clock, though. <laughs> I know. The big news, of course, that's absolutely dominating all media outlets and the discussion in this country is the indictment, the unprecedented indictment of a president or former president, that being the indictment of number 45, Donald J. Trump. I thought you were going to say people celebrating the birthday of none other yeah. than Christopher Walken. Oh, I didn't know that. Turns 80 today. 80 years old. I thought right? that was the big news story oh, of the day, right? Okay. Well, you're out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is total nuttiness, and it should shake every American to the core. It don't really matter, in my view, what you think about Donald Trump. This isn't about Donald Trump. It's, the, it's about the weaponization of our legal system, our, our institutions. That is most disturbing. This, again, to me, this had nothing, has nothing to do with Donald Trump. And it's not really him thereafter, in my view. I think he's the symbol. He's the emblem of what they're after. And that's folks to think like most of us. I say most because I know we have some in our audience that don't align with our viewpoints, and that's perfectly fine. And we respect that. And we welcome their points of view. Problem is, so many out there that disagree with our points of view do not welcome our points of view. And here's an example of it. What are they so worried about? Now, also keep in mind, this guy's in the middle of a presidential campaign, and all the polls show he's up. He's up from a primary perspective, and he's up in head-to-head matchups against the expected nominee on the Democrat side, that being current President Joseph R. Biden. 
That's what they don't like. What are they afraid of? So they just basically snubbed their nose, so to speak, at 100 million people. We are deeply divided, and that is disturbing. Like I've said so many times, it doesn't see that we could agree on anything. That starts with how many dang genders there are. And if you don't accept that men can have babies, well, then we just can't have you anymore. we got to arrest you, put you away. That's how crazy it's gotten. The president did respond with a statement. He made several, but this is the main statement that he made. Quote, this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. From the time I came down the golden escalator at Trump Tower, and even before I was sworn in as your president of the United States, the radical left Democrats, the enemy of the hardworking men and women of this country, have been engaged in a witch hunt to destroy the Make America Great Again movement. You remember it just like I do. Russia, 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 the Mueller hoax, Ukraine, 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 impeachment hoax one, impeachment hoax two, the illegal and unconstitutional Mar-a-Lago raid, and now this. The Democrats have lied, cheated, and stolen in their obsession with trying to, quote, get Trump, but now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. I do believe there's a lot of truth to what he said. Now, I've been clear that while I fully embrace and support the president's policy positions, and I think that he served the nation well in his term, and and there's evidence of that. You know, I I look at safety, uh, of course, freedom, you can't help but consider prosperity top of everybody's mind. It's the number one issue. Now, there's no, there's no question you can't prosper unless you're safe. And so what do we see now? I think this is, to a great extent, to detract. Hey, look at the shiny object over there, so you won't think about the Biden administration's failures. Now, he and his surrogates and his press secretary and Democrats in Congress... They tell you he's the greatest president ever. Now, I may be exaggerating a bit, but they certainly laud and praise what they deem to be his accomplishments. And I keep scratching my head wondering, what accomplishments? How are we better? we got a totally porous border, an incompetent cabinet, an incompetent vice president that's more concerned about running over to Africa and pandering to them, then she is going to our own border. Crime is rampant. Inflation is soaring. Cost of living is up. And we don't look too good abroad. We, we seem to have an administration that is more concerned with making China great than they are making America great. We have, have been marching towards mediocrity 
indoctrinating our kids in schools and certainly in the university environment. I got some other stuff to share on the nuttiness going on there. It's every day. Every day. Our future leaders. We start teaching kids at an early age about sexual orientation and gender ideology, that America is wicked and evil and systemically racist. We divide people into groups of oppressors and and victims. We ignore objective truth. We don't consider performance and excellence anymore, it seems, in in determining outcomes, determining one's fate. It's more about your physical attributes. This is right out of the Marxist playbook. No, no word on any of that. Sit down, shut up. It's good. That's what they tell you. Yesterday, two days ago, actually, the House passed H.R. 1. That's the bill that would unleash America's energy industry. Majority leader over there in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, said, H.R. 1 is dead on arrival. Of course it is. Because he doesn't really care, he's more... That was a pretty decent Schumer impersonation. <laughs> I practice it. <laughs> you just don't have quite enough jowls. You're right about that. I need the little bifocals hanging on my nose, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, dead on arrival. We've got a looming debt ceiling. McCarthy, I'll talk about his letter later on. He writes a letter to Biden. Biden writes a letter back to him. There's an impasse. No interest whatsoever. It's such a joke. McCarthy almost broke a rib of mine making me laugh when he just offhand. I could bring soft food if he needs it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> that just caught me off guard and hit a funny bone, and I laughed and laughed and laughed. Well, when you got a president who on the day of a horrific shooting, killing, in a school, conducts his press briefing that day, leading it off with a discussion about chocolate chip ice cream. That's just bizarre. I mean, if you really want to get weird on a Friday, we can all put our tinfoil hats on and just think how bad that manifesto really must be for them to be... Just wall-to-wall coverage of the Trump indictment. And they won't let us see that manifesto, will they? There's something Supposedly in there. Supposedly it's going to be released publicly once the FBI is done looking okay. over it. Okay. Well, I'm in the camp that says there's something in there the left doesn't like, the media doesn't like. And the FBI, I think, is complicit, honestly. How could you conclude otherwise? We've seen the FBI be more of a political apparatus than a law enforcement apparatus for a while now. It's disgusting. At 11.05 uh, today, Rhino, on the schedule? 11.20. pardon me, don't have it in front of me. Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, super top Mississippi News, will run down a lot of the headlines from across the Magnolia State this week. At 12.05, Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, he'll share his thoughts on the Trump indictment coming right back in the Element Well Studios. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. 
Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Element Wealth Studios, we thank you so much for joining us. William and Greenville ask, I thought H.R. 1 was the federalism overtake of voting in the U.S. It was in the was last, the last, HR in the last Congress. Right, that's right. It starts over uh, when we seat uh, a new class. And so we have done that, and it is the prerogative. It is within the scope of authority of the, uh, the Speaker and uh, of the House to determine which bills get assigned, which numbers, and the H.R. 1 that comes out of the House signifies it is of the utmost, the most important legislation. It is called the Lower Energy Costs Act. So you're right, though, William, in the last Congress, H.R. 1 was the Voting Rights Act, that was the legislation that would have, in fact, transferred control of virtually all election activities and processes to the federal government, removing such powers from the states. This is the one they wanted because they knew if they could get that deal through, they would own the federal government, own as in maintain majorities in each house permanently, if not the White House as well. That was their top priority. So think about the distinction, the stark contrast between the uh, the parties here. Despite what you may think about the Republicans not necessarily performing up to your, your like, that's understandable. But let's think about it. H.R. 1 un- under Democrat control, sweeping federal control of the voting process to make sure they have what they covet more than anything, which is power, permanently. The Republicans take control. Hats off. How many times have we said on the program, Rhino, the best thing the government can do for inflation, for the economy, is unleash the American energy industry? Top of list. Easy. You want to combat inflation? You want to put people to work, high-paying jobs? You want to assure our position as the most powerful nation on the earth? Unleash the American energy industry and leverage the abundant resources underneath our feet with which God has blessed us. That's what we should be doing. And while we're so, so just held up on this climate change crap. You got China building a coal plant per week. Nothing about them. We continue to appease and placate them in our policy making, in our foreign policy. Oh, we can't say anything bad about China. 
But yet, we admonish, scold Americans. You can't have gas stoves, and now they're coming for your air conditioners. You seen this? For your air conditioners. Is that Jennifer Granholm, the dumbest Secretary of Energy we've ever had? You may be able to assign the, that description to every member of our, can, our cabinet. Mayorkas, he's the most clueless in that position. Pete Buttigieg? Gina Riamondo? They basically turned this CHIPS Act. I warned, we passed this dumb CHIPS Act. And not happy about the fact that 17, 18 Republicans were on board. That's the only way they could get it passed, to overcome the filibuster. It's just a just a big-time social justice experiment, social engineering. you got to have child care. And you can't consume fossil fuels and all sorts of other goofy strings attached for the government. Which essentially makes any chips produced way too expensive to actually be viable. I'm not sure any company will, will apply for the grants under those circumstances. Okay, you can get money here, Mr. Chipmaker, but because that's coming from the federal government, you've got to implement all sorts of child care stuff and other employee benefits and pander to unions and and uh, precipitously decrease, sharply decrease your consumption of fossil fuels and all sorts of other social factors and nothing concerning Hey, we, we need you to make more chips. Where do, I thought that was the purpose. Oh, the whole purpose was we're relying too much on chip manufacturing in China. And that is that's unstable. It's risky. Agree with that. Okay, so the government says we're going to give these folks some money to build plants, which I disagree with here in this country. Oh, but in order for you to receive those grants, you've got to put in place all this child care stuff. Where did that come from? So this is the risk. The risk, as we've talked about before, is we elect members to represent, people to represent us in Congress, to make laws. But once those laws get made, like this CHIPS Act, and it gets handed over at the agency level to implement, to discharge those laws, that's where it just takes on a whole new slant. And so it's socialism implemented at the agency level. It's pernicious. It's subtle. It's masqueraded. doesn't happen by law necessarily. You look at that and say, well, you know, I just disagree with that, but you don't see that as, as a route to accomplish their their social justice agenda and just their their social agenda, period. Not necessarily justice, but yeah, we're going to force these companies to, they won't sign off on the child care requirements. Well, by God, we'll just force these companies to do this. We'll bribe them with money. That's what's happening here. So all that stuff can't get implemented in the Congress, can't get through because the votes aren't there, but they just pass laws that they then hand over to the agencies, and the agencies take it from there, and they implement them. It's almost like the whole federal government is bloated and overburdensome. Ah, 
Yeah, great point. <laughs> and it ain't almost like it. it's spot on. But that's exactly what's happening. So it, they can say, well, we didn't really do it in law. Well, no, you didn't, but you made these laws, and the next thing you know, the agencies go to implement them, and stuff comes out of nowhere. Like, you want this grant, Intel? you got to offer child care services at every plant, at every factory that receives any of these funds. Gee, I thought the whole idea was to make chips. <laughs> That's secondary. Primary is you're going to give child care to your workers. Secondary is, oh, by the way, make some chips while you're at it. That's kind of what the message is. So... How did factory workers ever deal with having kids before the CHIPS Act? Well, that's true. I mean, it's not like we have 100-plus years of people working in factories <laughs> and having kids without child care at the factory. I, I wonder that myself a lot. It's like, how did we ever survive without all these unbelievable benefits that the federal government wants every company to provide? Like, when do they ever worry about producing products and services and value for society? They're not your caretaker. You go to work. You do your job. They pay you for it. And by the way, pay means some reasonable benefits as part of that package. But no, that's not enough. It's never enough. Never enough. And so they essentially just want to transition these factories, these companies, to just... Giant caretakers, essentially, is what it turns out to be. But you've even got you've even got uh, some Democrats. Well, I'll tell you, Reuters, uh, Bloomberg, which is not very right leaning, they even come out and say, "What? What has this got to do with manufacturing chips?" I was shocked, pleasantly surprised. That the folks over there, Bloomberg, actually came out and blasted this whole this bill because this really isn't a bill about making chips. It's a bill to implement social policy. Wow. But Gina Raimondo, uh, she says, no, 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 there's no social policy in the rules. She, she's denying it. So, How daft is she? But reply, requiring the applicants to provide child care and other benefits, well, that's not social policy as, as a condition to receive money to make chips? I thought the idea was to make chips. I know I've beat that horse to death, but this is this is what's wrong with Washington right there. We're coming right back with more on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Mississippi is with Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. So before I leave this subject of the CHIPS Act, we called it, Rhino. You know, when this thing passed, we blasted it. You knew it. 
So when you got Bloomberg talking about the media outlet, Bloomberg, publishing an article trashing this law, shocking. That ought to send a message to those who supported it. Title of the article. This is from, this is an opinion piece from the Bloomberg editors. $52 billion chip-making plan is racing toward failure. In the $52 billion, farce. It's more like three to $400 billion when you really look at all of the provisions and the cost thereof. The, the um, subheadline says... A big semiconductor bill was once a bipartisan showpiece. Ill-considered policies are killing it. How about that? So they agree with us. Bloomberg says that, and they, and they go through a myriad of challenges, said that we lack the workforce for the industry. Now, of course, they attribute that to a broken immigration system said we need 300,000 more skilled laborers just to staff these facilities. Well, I'm all for bringing in legally, legitimately skilled laborers to go to work in these plants, making six-figure incomes, by the way, contributing to society, assimilating, paying taxes, etc. What I'm not for is, I'll just come across the border here, and try to stick those people in a chip plant. That's not going to happen. That's their idea of satisfying our labor requirements. What a farce. What a joke. All that's doing is draining our resources, filling up our schools and our hospitals, consuming our food stocks, our medicine, because other countries are so brutally corrupt, they can't take care of their own. It's breaking the United States. And they go on, they have a number of concerns, but labor is certainly one. But but this is the one we've been focused on that they, they call politics. That's their a big concern. Companies hoping, I'm reading from the article, for significant CHIPS Act funding must comply with an array of new government rules and pointed suggestions meant to advantage labor unions, favored demographics, quote, empowered community partners, and the like. That's in the law. They should also be prepared to offer, quote, community investment. It sounds so noble, so innocuous. So altruistic. Employee, quote, wraparound services, access to, quote, affordable, accessible, reliable, and high-quality child care, and much else. So all you're doing is layering on all these costs, all this lard to these businesses, so they're going to make chips. Well, they're not going to do it. That just makes them less competitive on the world stage and chips are a world market. I think these problems are solvable, but they're not as long as the Biden administration is hell-bent on 
forcing all this this social policy under the guise of of economic policy, trying to boost the supply chain and the supply of chips, something that has plagued us certainly since the pandemic. And we all woke up and say, wait, we rely on China for all that? That's pretty crazy, given that they told everybody to go home. They locked them in their dang homes. Can't make chips. How many of any of us heard, well, I'd like to sell that something to you you want, but we can't get it because we can't get chips? Cars, no doubt, they're full of chips. AV equipment, computers. Kitchen appliances. Yeah, good point. Everything's got sensors, chips in it now. That's a good thing. Phones, everything. But you can't you can't make them without the chips. And we rely on most of that coming from one part of the world. But you know, why did those companies do that? Because the government made it so dang expensive to operate here, they couldn't compete. They couldn't make the product at a price point that the market would consume it. People just say, no, I can't afford that. They don't ever want to accept that. You know what they'll tell you? Because they don't want to even accept reality. Well, and, they and, want to live in la la land and champion populations that make up less than two percent of the whole. It's true. So maddening. So maddening. Unbelievable. Whether it be the alphabet soup people or the union workers, neither one of them make up more than two percent of the population. So true. But yet we go out of our way to accommodate. Were we supposed to have a transgender day of vengeance tomorrow? Supposedly. I believe it got called off. It got called off out of... I don't know that it got called off. I just know that social media platforms cracked down on it so they can't communicate what they were going to do. I see. Well, the stories I saw indicated that the organizers called it off because they were concerned about safety of the protesters, of the folks that are going to be engaged in whatever the heck they're going to be doing. Does it just bother you, though, that they call it a vengeance day or day of vengeance? What does that mean? I mean, that, that seems to me like you're, you're promoting violence. You're inciting it. Can't you go to jail for that sort of stuff? Well, not if it's a cause that the Democrats champion. And, of course, this... I mean, that's why you had insurrectionists taking over the State House of Kentucky and Tennessee yesterday, or within the last 48 hours. You showed me that, and I saw more about that. Uh, I'm shocked, honestly. Tell them about what happened exactly, in case they didn't hear it yesterday. Well, the one in Tennessee that was protesters took over the House in the, the state of Tennessee to argue that they need more gun control laws. And then the trans shaman took over the Kentucky State House to debate trans rights. So, you know... Which, by the liberal definition, both of those are insurrections and they should all spend forever in jail. Right. Exactly right. The um, I'm looking at, at some results of a poll recently conducted inflation higher prices extremely or very concerned 90 percent higher crime rates 
87%. Higher taxes, 71%. I don't think the administration's getting the memo there, because they're not doing anything to address any of those. But you hear a lot about the complaints, and I, and I, and I certainly appreciate them. Two-tier justice system. That's what's on display here. I have a different take on it. It's really not a two-tier justice system. It's actually more binary than that. It's justice and none. Justice being inappropriately, unjustifiably applied in the case of indicting Donald Trump. And then you've got a myriad of of Democrat high-profile people like Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton. Nothing. Same thing's happening here. You go take over the Capitol, and folks, the video Rhino shared with me yesterday was unbelievable. They started laying down, right, on the floor. Yeah, that's a popular protest from the idiots and the worthless losers on the left. They have die-ins, the laziest form of protest. You just go lay on the ground somewhere and impede everybody else's progress. So, no consequences. They love doing it at grocery stores to... uh combat the dairy problem they'll just go pick up gallons of milk and throw them in the floor and then lay in it oh my gosh that's how worthless these people are there's really no justice system in this country there's not there's just whatever not when the democrats are raising money to pay the bail of criminals so true but I just, just want to point out, though, that I, I, I disagree with the notion, and, and, and I'm doing it respect, respectfully. I'm just pointing out it's not a two-tier justice system. There's no justice being applied to the other tier. Only I mean, how many tier. pictures are available to the public of Hunter Biden smoking crack and humping hookers? Pretty sure both of those are illegal. With impunity. Total impunity. You can go take over a capital in Tennessee. Just disrupt... The whole state government there. Nothing. But yet they can go indict a president on extremely weak grounds that I don't think survive. And I can't even figure out why a state and a municipality, a district's involved in this, and not the federal government if he broke federal election law. Makes no sense. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are back with you in the Element Wealth Studios. Just got a report that uh, includes statements from the Mississippi congressional delegation, including our two senators, our four members of the House of Representatives. I'll pass this on to you. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith says, The indictment of President Trump resulted from a politically motivated prosecution by a New York district attorney whose campaign was funded by George Soros. 
This is about interfering in a presidential election. It has nothing to do with justice. Democrats have crossed the line. Senator Roger Wicker, there is a reason that federal prosecutors had already declined to pursue charges against Donald Trump. It is clear that the allegations against him are politically motivated and are based almost entirely on the testimony of ex-employees who wish him harm. It is a travesty for our justice system, and I think Manhattan prosecutors, uh, this Manhattan prosecutor, will see this case backfire. Representative Trent Kelly, he, of course, represents District 1 in Mississippi. This effort to prosecute former President Donald Trump is a political ploy, a shameful abuse of power. Representative Michael Guest, as a former district attorney, I find the indictment of former President Trump unprecedented and concerning. We see questions continue to grow around the impartiality of the Manhattan attorney, the timing of the indictment, and the impact this may have on our election process. All Americans should be concerned about the long-term effects that this action will have on our political and justice system. Congressman Michael Mike Ezell, the Manhattan DA's choice to prosecute President Trump seems to be nothing more than partisan politics. I'm deeply concerned about the implication of this decision on our justice system and our national, excuse me, our nation's electoral process. And then finally, the lone Democrat among our six congressional delegates, that would be Representative uh, Benny Thompson, says, quote, no one is above the law, exclamation point. We must put elected officials in office with the highest integrity. Donald Trump is the first president in U.S. history to be indicted. A presidential indictment is a stain on our democracy. Trump must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Accountable for what exactly, Representative Thompson? I just love the repetition of no one is above the law. It's rich coming from a Democrat. They don't have anything else. And it's 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 all gaslighting, honestly. They've got nothing else. And you know, I'm I'm not a person that likes to play whataboutism, but when it comes to the legal system and the law in this country, it's gotta be applied blindly. Wasn't that the concept? It's got to be applied equally. Otherwise, we don't have any law. We are, then, a banana republic. That's what's scary about this. Forget Donald Trump. It's got nothing to do with that. The problem is they can't. They loathe him because he represents views that they just detest. It's, it's the traditional American values of family, faith, hard work. As my favorite candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, says, unapologetic pursuit of excellence, meritocracy, free speech. They hate all that. Their idea of free speech is only that with which they agree. Anything else is hate speech. They're shutting speech down on our college campuses, which should be the guiding light for free speech in the world. Used to be at one point the laboratory of ideas and the free expression of multiple viewpoints. What happened to that concept? 
That's out the window. It's been replaced by feelings. Oh, man. Louie from the 662 on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. What about Biden's press secretary catering to the trans population in her first appearance after the Nashville school shooting? It was despicable, Louie. Um, she basically says there's an attack on the trans population in this country after a transgender person killed six people. Wrap your head around that. You can't. You can't. It's almost like she's an idiot. But that was to be expected. She's got a D by her name. She said yesterday that the, quote, trans community in America is under attack. Just days after a transgender played shoot em up and killed six people in a Christian school. It's, you can't make it up. It's unbelievable. One of the things we saw during the midterm elections is that people don't want their freedoms to be taken. Who's taking their freedoms? And you're not free, by the way, to indoctrinate children with your nonsense. That's what you want to do. Coming right back after Super Talk News and Fox News. Stay with us. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Let's see, on the ceasefire tax line, they want all this for illegals, talking about, uh, I guess, maybe the CHIPS Act and what we were discussing there with respect to shortage of labor that Bloomberg points out. Could be. Dan in Hattiesburg says, and only chip producers deserve child care. Well, no, they don't think that, Dan. They, they want every company to implement family leave and child care and an assortment of other benefits, pay 100% for health care. That's their dream. Uh, but they can, they can sort of implement that with these grants. That's the whole point here is that we're going to pass this law that looks like we're going to try to provide some financial incentives to companies to build chip factories, but we're not going to let you know that when we put this into practice and actually implement the law at the, at the agency level, such as the Department of Labor or uh, the FTC, what, well, whoever, I can't even remember, uh, I think it is Labor, right? That's where Gina Riamondo, she's the Secretary of Labor, I believe that's where it's being implemented are these requirements are uh, being instituted. Uh, They just say, okay, we'll pass a law, make it look like we're going to give money, grants, make grants available to these companies so they'll bring their factories back over here from China, make chips here, and that'll help out. But what they don't tell you is, but when we get into the implementation, well, we're going to go ahead and, um, and require all these other um, social benefits, if you will, as a condition to receive 
those uh, those grants. That's what they don't tell you. And that's what's happening here. So, again, the agencies, as we've said so many times on the program, the so-called deep state, that's who runs the country. Because it, it comes out of the Congress, and by the time it makes it all the way down into practice, through the implementation, it's got all these other features that really weren't intended. Now, in this case, it was intended. We know that. The Democrats were successful in persuading 18 Republicans in the Senate to go along with them. And, of course, those senators would say, well, yeah, we got to build chip factories over here, make chips over here. And that may be noble as, as a, uh, a cause, as a goal, but you should know. Republican senators, that once it gets down to, we've seen this this game before, once it gets down to the agency level, they don't look like it did when you signed off on it. Because they've got, they've got a, um, an underlying agenda that's often not visible on the surface. They're pretty good at that sort of stuff. Yeah, I was racking my brain trying to think of the last actually good piece of legislation championed by the Democrats at the federal level. And I don't think they've had one since I've been alive. <laughs> well, Everything they've championed or pushed through or tried to do just makes everything worse. Sure seems like it. So again, I reiterate, all Democrats are worthless. <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, it's um we shouldn't be shocked by this sort of stuff, honestly. And it's even more despicable when Riamondo says, "No, no, no, there's no special requirements in there." No, not so ever. Of course, Bloomberg also goes on to point out that there's a ton of red tape to get a chip plant open. The time to require to construct new chip plants from 1990 to 2020 increased by 38%. Just getting Clean Air Act permits, 18 months. God help us if anything urgent ever comes up, which is likely, given the instability around the globe, but we've made so much dead gum red tape. It's the regulations that are a bigger negative impact on economic output and prosperity, in my view, than taxes are. There's tons of agencies that have to get involved and sign off every step of the way to get a factory built. By the time you get it built, if you engineered engineered it to build a certain type of chip, at a certain level of technology by the, with certain features, functionality, by the time you get it built, it's obsolete. <laughs> That's how slow it moves. Technology moving at the speed of light, government moving at turtle speed. Slower than the speed of smell. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, technology doesn't stand still for bureaucrats. They just don't get it. And that discourages the private investment, by the way, necessary to get these factories off the ground. Credible. 
Gina Mendenhall wants to know if Senator Wicker voted for the CHIPS bill. He did. Uh, Mississippi Senator Went- Wicker was among the... I can't remember, Ryan. I was either 18. There was three legend pieces of legislation, all which got Republican Senate support to enable them to pass. The Infrastructure Bill, the CHIPS Act, and most recently in December... It was the big omnibus spending bill, the $1.7 trillion. All three of those got, and I don't remember which got, but I know it's 17, 18, and 19 Republicans. I do remember that. I don't remember which got the 17, the 18, the 19. It doesn't really matter. Senator Wicker did vote for all three. It's pretty much the same group, give or take one or two, as you can see by the numbers, mostly led by Mitch McConnell, who supported all three. He's the one, I believe, that influenced the other Republicans heavily to join him in supporting. Join him in, in uh, locking arms with Democrats here to push this legislation. It, this is what's really sad, is that the Democrats tout these three bills as huge legislative victories for this president. And it's not that I oppose Republicans supporting good legislation, because we should do that, even if it is credited to the president who happens to be of the other party, if it's good for the people in the country. The problem is the Democrat ideology doesn't produce good ideas or good legislation. Because there's always some some veiled objective. And, and this is what's happening with this chip bill. This is more about, well, we can't get all these social policies through. We're just going to force it through by requiring these companies to uh, comply and as a carrot to fetch this money. That's how it works. It's essentially a bribe. And Republicans should understand that no better. There's examples of that in history. That's how they operate. It's sad. Call me crazy, but aren't Tennessee and Kentucky red states? Can't they arrest all these folks if they wanted to? That's from Kelso and Ocean Springs talking about, I guess, the protesters at the state capitol. I, you know, I'm not honestly sure what law says about that. Are you allowed just to go place yourself on the floor? At some point, that's got to be deemed as disruption and some sort of conduct you would think that would be against the law if you did that in every single meeting of a state legislature that couldn't function. I imagine it would be either disturbing the peace or trespassing or both. Yeah, seems like it. Of course. But what good does it do if you arrest them and try to throw them in jail if the Democrats, including the vice president of the United States, raise money to bail them out? That's true. Pelosi seems to believe someone has to prove their innocence in court, not so much innocent until proven guilty. That from Ben from Madison. Uh, yeah, she tweeted that out after the indictment came down. Yeah. That Trump will have to prove his innocence. Um, of course. That's uh, that's her twisted view, right? Because it suits her, her political aspirations and her narrative. So, and then we just got a statement from Chuck Schumer. Donald Trump is subject to the same laws as every American. He will be able to avail himself of the legal system and a jury, not politics, 
to determine his fate according to the facts and the law. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Hey Chuck, this ain't nothing but politics. Have you seen his Twitter handle? He's got his fashionable sunglasses on his Twitter profile. <laughs> Chuck, you're a fraud. That's all I can say. I could come up with something else, but you know that's not my style. I'm just going to say you're a fraud. We're coming right back with Alyssa Arbuckle, Super Talk Mississippi News. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, it's Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. There you go. When you hear that sound, you know it's the news folks in the studios. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Alyssa. Good to be here. I'm glad to finally do this. It's been a while since they told me I was going to do it for the first time, so I'm excited. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so the president, is is he on the ground yet? Do you know? Yeah, he came in this forward? morning. Yeah, he came in this morning. Um, he was supposed to bring his first lady with him, too, so they both got to see Rolling Fork this morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And well, Reeves is supposed to be with them, too. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, some, a friend of mine just sent me a uh, photo via text of Air Force One flying above uh, our, our uh, Gluckstadt, not too far from mm-hmm. here, so a few miles up the road to the north. So uh, what is he expected to talk about? Do we have any indication of other than he'll obviously talk about the disaster itself? Do you think he may have any announcements as to uh, special funding or in anything, um, any sort of declaration over and above what he's already done to help the good people in Rolling Fort recover? I mean, he might. He's already been doing so much since uh, the storms happened on Friday, and then throughout Saturday he was definitely paying attention to all of it. Um, for Rolling Fork and Sharkey County specifically, like Silver City and everything, they had the whole E-4, the one E-4 tornado in the state. And so even though they didn't have nearly as many homes damaged, they had around like 255, I think, in Sharkey County, um, out of the 2,000, you know, that were, in, like, damaged across Mississippi, they had the majority of the fatalities. I think it was 13 out of the 21. Incredible. So, yeah, so there's a lot of fatalities rather than damage to homes specifically, but, I mean, they definitely had a huge impact there. Monroe County was the one that had the majority of the homes. They had over uh, 1,400, I think, of the 2,000, So, but they only had, like, a couple fatalities in comparison to the 13. So I definitely think that... 
um, Biden being there, he's going to see a lot of stuff already. And we've already seen a lot of pictures circulating from MEMA, FEMA. I mean, all the other organizations like Red Cross, like it's it's definitely, you know, it's something that we haven't seen in a long, long while. It's very historically horrible, in my opinion. Yeah. All right, so you indicated that uh, Governor Rees is expected to be uh, mm-hmm. on site as well uh, yeah. with the president. Any any other uh, notable elected officials that we're expecting? Any members of our congressional de- uh, delegation or folks from the Capitol? Not to my knowledge. The only one that I heard about was Reeves um, with you know Biden and First Lady Jill Biden. Um, but I mean. I know that they're trying to keep a lot of people away from big areas like Rolling Fork that had the majority of the damage because the more people, I mean, it's already so, I mean, everything's just in disarray. So the more people, they've even been telling people, you know, who want to go over and see it, like spectate it basically, I mean, and just see all that happened there. Like, please don't come over. We're trying to recover. Like people are trying to get their feet on the ground. Um, we're trying to get water. We're trying to get food. We're trying to get shelter. So don't come over here at all. Um, so I don't expect there to be a huge crowd. Um, I mean, there might be. It's an, a really important thing because it's the first time that Biden has come through his ento- entire term to Mississippi. So to my knowledge, since he was elected. But um, so it's a really historic moment. But hopefully there's not too many people and they have enough space for everybody. Yeah. Always a problem when when the president and his uh, motorcade and entourage are are uh, visiting areas across the country. It's a big production to make mm-hmm. that happen. Definitely, the legislature's been pretty busy this week. They're trying to get out of there, uh, is what it seems to me like. And they're in session today, right? Mm-hmm, We've they been are. tracking that somewhat. Mm-hmm. They're both. I mean, the House and the Senate are debating really big ticket bills. Um, they extended the session to April fourth instead of the second in okay. the House. Um, for appropriations and, you know, big ticket bills. Um, I know that they're trying to get, um, the, uh, ballot initiative re- revived because that died on the calendar. Um, that one was Senate Concurrent Resolution 533. And so they were trying to get Senate Concurrent Resolution 572 to revive that and get the deadline extended for that. And I think that's in the House right now. And I haven't seen any action on that since Monday. Um, but I mean, the House has. A little bit wild more to go. So April 2nd was the original date for Signy Die, but now it's going to be April 4th. Something uh, that occurred this week, of course, that's uh, gotten a lot of attention is that the State Board of Education's pick for Superintendent of Education, Dr. Robert Taylor's confirmation, uh, did not get approved mm-hmm. uh, by the State Senate. And, and so that leaves us without a leader of the Department of Education, but uh, I believe late yesterday, Mike Kent was Mm -hmm. named as interim superintendent. Is Mm -hmm. that right? He was. I thought it was pretty quick. I mean, it just happened that um, Taylor was denied with the 31 to 21 vote in the Senate, and they were like, well, in the, you know, coming days, you know, in a while, we're going to have another interim, you know, superintendent, and then immediately it's pretty quick. So I guess uh, he's going to stay in um kent is going to stay in until probably around i think it was june 30th was the day that he's gonna you know they're gonna say that's your last day and then on july 1st they're going to have a long-term um interim superintendent so he's a short-term one they're gonna have a long-term one and then after that they're gonna have the permanent one so yeah but he's now instead of um 
Robert Taylor. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying stuff like, I know Horn came on the other day that it's racially motivated. I mean, there's no confirmation on any of that. But now we have a state superintendent, so that fills the position. The position. At least for a couple of months. Mm-hmm, definitely. And Mike Kent is presently deputy superintendent, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes, he is. Um, Kent was also... Um, yeah, he was with the Mississippi Department of Education for over a decade. Wasn't that 2012? Is that correct? I believe so. And prior yeah. to that, he was superintendent of Madison, Madison County, County Schools. Yeah. I worked with him, knowing from that mm-hmm. process. He's yeah. good. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely experienced. No doubt. Been and in education. From Mississippi. He yeah. sure is. Been in education, as far as I know, his entire uh, career, mm-hmm. professional career. Yeah. So, but not expected to at this point i don't think be named to the slot permanently Mm-mm. they still have the long-term interim so i don't know if they're going to continue him into the long-term position um i mean after he steps in i think it's like april 3rd i think yeah. is the day that he steps in and takes the position um but i mean he's been in mississippi for a long time he's been doing a lot of public service for mississippi and i know the senate's reservations with getting uh robert taylor in was that he did a lot of -of out-of-state public service and that was one of the reasons why they didn't want to confirm him right so i think i mean if if they wanted somebody who's experienced in mississippi kent definitely fits the bill no doubt about Mm -hmm. it all right so on the health care front uh, from mm-hmm. a legislative perspective in uh, Mississippi. We've got some bills still out there, right? Mm-hmm. There were four of them uh, that one was passed and sent to the governor, and he signed that one. Um, that one was Senate Bill 2373, and that one is the uh, hospital nurse loan repayment program. It's where nurses can get $6,000 um, every year, and they can get up to like $18,000 to pay any, like, um, outstanding student loan debt, yeah. which I think is really good since there's so many nurses and there's such a need for nurses shortage, in Mississippi. No yeah, um, I think that's going to help a lot for you know incentivizing more nurses to get into uh, the field. And then there were three other ones. Um, in total, there was a hundred three. million that was allocated Mm -hmm. um, for Mississippi hospitals in need. I think there's like 28 hospitals that are struggling financially in the state. Um, And these three bills should definitely help. Um, There was 2372, which has been passed uh, in both chambers, that will allocate money to hospitals that meet certain criteria. Um, Then there was 2371 that passed both chambers in conference, and that one is like grants for college nursing, allied uh, health programs, stuff like that. And then 2323 also passed in both chambers. Uh, That one is allowing hospitals to collaborate with nonprofit entities and other entities so they can give them additional help that they need. These were all bills that were were introduced early on Mm -hmm. in the session, did survive the process, and Mm -hmm. looks like they're going to be pulled across the finish line here. Definitely. Singing River, big health care outfit on the coast, looks like Mm -hmm. they... Uh, have a buyer yeah yeah that one is um the i don't want to say it wrong i think it's franciscan or Fran, uh, i don't franciscan, know franciscan yep. yeah missionaries of our lady help uh system yep. and they actually are over saint dominic that's right hospital out of Jackson. baton rouge mm-hmm. yep. yeah so they're going to acquire they, singing yeah. river right mm-hmm. yeah. and they're in jackson already so they already right. have a foot in mississippi so that's yeah. really beneficial yeah so uh, lots of activity for sure mm-hmm. uh this week
I well, think so. Yeah, and we'll probably have more next week because <laughs> oh, it looks definitely. like they're going to be there for a while. All the way up until Tuesday, I'm yeah. guessing. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you coming in, Alyssa. Thanks mm-hmm. a lot. Thanks for having me. Yep. Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News, has been our guest. We're stepping aside for a break from the Element Well Studios. Coming right back. With Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well Studios on the 662. Is there any truth or have you heard any connection between the mayor of Jackson's family having employment and our ownership with Richard's waste disposal? What I can say is that I've heard so much, so much um, suggestion of all sorts of relationships between the Jackson mayor and uh, a number of entities, both legal and illegal, but I see no empirical evidence. A lot, lot of chatter, a lot of discussion, a lot of rumor. I don't know what's true and what's not. All I can say is at this point, unlike what Nancy Pelosi says, you're innocent until proven guilty. I haven't seen any proof. I've seen no lawsuits launched where such matters should be deliberated. I suspect that's because there's not enough evidence for someone to mount a lawsuit, which costs a lot of money. So I'm not suggesting that the mayor is not involved in some sort of impropriety. I'm not suggesting he is. I honestly don't know. And I'm sorry to... To answer it that way, but it's it's the truth at this point. Rhino, you got any thoughts other than that? I mean, other than the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, sure. I mean, it certainly... But you're right, it does require a lawsuit, and a lawsuit requires money, and I don't know if there are enough people that concerned about the capital city and the leadership to spend their own hard-earned money to do something about Jackson when... Seems like the people of Jackson don't want to do anything about Jackson. I agree. I, I would agree with you that um, the the way to remedy th- this situation is to vote for different leadership. And I would say to DA Alvin Bragg and the Democrats, you don't like Donald Trump? We'll beat him at the ballot box. And I, I've heard. Varying opinions on how this will impact his candidacy. I was a little surprised this morning. I heard Byron Donalds, the congressman from Florida. He's excellent. He's in the wealth management business. I uh, I love it when he gets into discussions with people on the Hill that 
have no idea what they're talking about with respect to finance and economics. And this guy does. He was in that industry. I've seen him interviewed by the race lady on MSNBC before when she tried to refute some of his assertions concerning that subject matter, which is his professional wheelhouse. But the race lady thinks she's all-knowing. But I, I say that as a preface to this morning he was asked a question in an interview on the Business Channel how he thought this would impact Donald Trump. He said he thought it would hurt him. I was a little shocked. I've, I've kind of came away thinking, I think this helps him. I think this solidifies his base for sure. And I think, as is the case with all presidential candidates, it's that, it's that squishy middle that, um, that vacillates, doesn't really so much vote for a party, but rather votes for candidate. And that's what you got to have to win in those key counties that we talked about. That's the way our electoral vote process works. And he believes this will hurt him with those people. He just thinks that ultimately if we see a mugshot of Donald Trump, we see him in the, uh, the orange jumpsuit at this point, I do not think it's expected that he will be, what I'm hearing, going to be handcuffed that um, he, he is expected, however, to turn himself in next Tuesday for arraignment. Is that your understanding as well yeah. at this point? Okay. 2.15, I think, is the exact time of the arraignment. Uh, that's what it's scheduled, when it's scheduled. But it, I don't think they're going to go and put handcuffs on him and take him away in a, in a typical sort of arrest that ensues after indictment. That is not expected. He's turning himself in. Of course, he's obviously different in that he's a former president, and he enjoys the protection of the Secret Service for life, and as does his family, in accordance with our law, as it should be. And so I think there's some deference to that in this case. Wouldn't you think that, okay, this is a president. They've got essentially law enforcement um, that that uh, are with him at all times, and and they will handle his uh, his escort, if you will, as part of this to go to court for the arraignment. I have no idea what the heck they're going to hang their hat on here. I'm I'm still scratching my head. There are 34 counts. 34. Where did it come up with that? You got to be fabricating stuff. Is this? I mean, you got to throw it all at the wall and just see what sticks. Exactly. But is this the old? Not really a great approach to justice, but no. Here uh, we are. It's right. It's a joke, is what it is. Uh, justice. But is this a deal where let, show me the person, I'll find the crime sort of deal? That's what it feels like. Does it not? Pretty much. I saw where somebody pointed out that. These allegations, or it's not even an allegation that I guess he paid Stormy Daniels. It's how it got paid and whether or not that is construed as, as a campaign contribution money. I think that's the heart of the deal, which is just weak on the surface. But I, I saw something that suggested that this actually occurred while he was a registered Democrat. You seen that? I don't know if that's the case. I haven't tracked his, the timing of his party affiliation there. I find that to be irrelevant. I just thought it was intriguing. 
honestly. So now, what will happen with his fundraising? Because that's been a concern for the former president, that much of his big-money donors have kind of wilted on him as far as going into 2024, prefer a different candidate. And uh, might this step it up? What I'd really like to see and what would be in the best interest of the country, in my view, is to call this deal off and for Democrats to say, you know what, I don't like Donald Trump. I don't want him to be the president. I don't even like the people who support him, which is sad. But this is not in the best interest of the country. How does this serve the public good? That should be the chief concern. That should always be the guide. Not, oh boy, how does this get me more power and money? I'm afraid that's what's the guide. How does this get me more fame and fortune? Rather than, what's in the best interest of the people? And I don't see how this serves the best interest of the people, honestly. Now, that's not to say that you should be able to break the law with impunity, but clearly we don't consistently apply the law, clearly. And that's a big concern, big concern. And so they essentially, what we have going on is kind of a Cold War, civil war in this country. It's just sad. But I thought we were going to elect a president that was going to unite us, restore the soul of the nation. You remember that, don't you? <laughs> if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Trump essentially is a martyr at the end of the day. And, and look, the guy's smart. He's, he's pretty savvy on that sort of stuff. He'll figure out a way to leverage this. And before it's all over with, he'll own this DA, in my view, because he doesn't really have a strong case. It's totally politically motivated, not rooted in, in appropriate legal action. And what they seek, of course is a one-party state, and they, they, they intend to pursue it by weaponizing our justice systems, our legal systems, Soviet-style acquisition of power, permanent power. The media is giddy. You've seen this. They're salivating. They're euphoric. That's sick. Well, it's because they have a legitimate reason to put Trump in their headlines and on their Chiron help their ratings. Well, that tells me that to them, what's, I guess, what they get some degree of, I believe, short-term satisfaction, because the euphoria wears off in a hurry. The adrenaline rush of seeing their favorite target, their favorite villain endure this is more important to them than what's in the best interest of the people. There's no question about that. How can the American people not see through this? This has. It, I'm not defending Donald Trump. What I'm trying to do is defend the system that they're trying to pervert. The system is fine. They're perverting it. They're abusing power and perverting it. And they asked Joe Biden what he thought about it. I'm sure his lawyers advised him to respond dustly. He said... No comment. Of course. Of course, he couldn't come up with an original thought on it, even if they allowed him to comment. I'm surprised he remembered. Don't comment, Joe. 
We're stepping aside for a break, the final segment in this hour, and then after the news break at the top of the hour, it's Ashley Edwards. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, Midday Super Talk Mississippi. From the Hold My Beer column, just as you think it can't get any crazier in public education, Oregon, it's crazy out there. Eugene, Oregon, Churchill High School. Well, students were assigned to write a short story detailing a, quote, sexual fantasy, including sex toys. High school. This was in the syllabus approved by the district. This is why school district, school boards are so dang important. The assignment says that you will write a short story of a paragraph or two. This story is a sexual fantasy that will have no penetration of any kind or oral sex or way of passing an STI. That's what the assignment said. You will choose three items. Romantic music, candles, massage oil, feather, feather boa, flavored syrup to use in your story. This is directly from the assignment I'm reading. Your story should show that you can show and receive loving physical affection without having sex. Now, an assignment earlier in the year at this same school was entitled With Whom Would you do it? Students had to write the initials of both a boy and a girl in the class with whom they would be willing to perform various acts of sex. This is in high school. Unbelievable. Am I crazy for being shocked by this? I mean, I I know a lot of people have become numb to this kind of stuff. But every day I read this and say, this can't be happening in this country. How does this help you become a successful, prosperous adult? It doesn't. That contributes to society. What's the obsession with this? I cannot figure it out. What would compel a teacher, a school district, to think this is appropriate and valuable? What's the value of this? I keep going back to that simple concept. What's the value? 
That should be front and center in the decision-making process concerning a curriculum. What the heck does this have to do with learning the skills of life one needs to succeed after high school? So parents are outraged. Of course they are. Even in Looney Oregon. Unbelievable. So they say families are provided the course syllabus at the start of each term with an option to opt their student out. That's even crazy that you have to do that, in my view. As always, we welcome the review of curriculum and discussions with our families. No, you don't. Neither does our attorney general, who weaponized, talking about the U.S. attorney general, who deemed that parents were terrorists, and ordered his team to restrict parents from redressing the school boards about this kind of crap. They're shoving down the throats of their kids. And the it's because left... they know their crackpot ideology can't be foisted upon adults. That's exactly right. So you got to get them early. But isn't that right out of Karl Marx's manifesto? Indoctrinate, brainwash early, and you got them hooked, and they'll continue that line of thinking, and I guess become adult, develop into adults. With, with um, that ideology, f- looking at it favorably. In the meantime, at uh, Pomona College, that's an elite, e- elite uh, private school. Unbelievable. Students of color are allowed safe spaces without white males. Quote, there is nothing wrong or ungrateful about requesting the safe spaces necessary to make it through the anti-black, white, capitalist institution, Pomona College. That's what's happening on our college campuses. That's what they're teaching them. That's what they're brainwashing them with. Anti-black, white, capitalist institution. Oh, we sure are coming together, aren't we, as one big happy family. We're stepping aside for a break right here. When we come back after Super Talk News and Fox News, we've got Ashley Edwards. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to the afternoon portion of midday super talk mississippi don't forget sports talk mississippi will be at the pearl river resort today as the big tournament continues find about 
Find out about all the exciting stuff happening at the Pearl River Resort, including concerts, gaming, golf, and more. Joining us now, Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of Gulf Coast Business Council, and of course, Super Talk Mississippi uh, news column contributor. Ashley, good to see you. A lot of stuff happening this week, especially with the unexpected indictment of former President Donald Trump. Your thoughts? Well, you know, look, I devoted some column space to this about a week ago after the former president predicted his own arrest. Um, I'm concerned about it, Gerard. Look, I, I am of the firm belief that given the polarization in this country, having a local district attorney uh, whose office, frankly, has not been shy about, uh, you know, show, sort of showing its partisan stripes uh, in, in not even the city of New York, but a borough, the Manhattan District Attorney, one of the five boroughs there, indicting a former president on local charges, essentially, that stem from the falsification of business documents that took place seven years ago in a hush money payment that never actually had the intended effect because we've known about it for years. Right. And I look at that compared to the investigation that's going on in, in Georgia with election interference, more importantly, the investigation that's going on at the federal level, uh, both with the January 6th events and also the classified documents. And frankly, we don't know what will come out of that. Um, I'm concerned that what this is going to end up doing is undermining the eventual results of the investigations that come that are frankly looking into bigger issues than what the Manhattan DA is dealing with. So, Hmm. you know, that said, look, no one's above the law, Gerard, and, and certainly I believe in the rule of law, but I also believe in prosecutorial discretion. And, I, you know, if I'm the special counsel, Jack Smith, right now, I'm saying, goodness, you guys have really undermined what we're doing here because we could be at a point in, you know, a few months where you just have indictment fatigue. You know, if you just sort of have all these string of indictments come down on the former president, you got half the country that's going to say this is this is nonsense. And frankly, it undermines our institutions. It undermines the rule of law. And and I wish that the Manhattan district attorney would have would have waited in line. So, so then, just to make sure I understand you, Ashley, you think that the DA, uh, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, proceeding with this indictment, you think that perhaps weakens the other cases? Is that what I'm hearing you say? The cases in, of, uh, in Georgia, for example, the case about the classified documents, Mar-a-Lago. Is that what you, you're saying there? Well, I think it certainly weakens it from a public perception standpoint. Sure. Because, you know, let's, let's face it, most Americans are not going to get in the legal minutiae yeah. of federal cases. And so, you know, they're going to hear about what happens in New York. Um, they're going to hear the inevitable backlash, which we're already hearing from a lot of prominent Republicans across the United States to say this is political persecution, this is nonsense. And everything that ensues from here is going to be colored by that same paint. Okay. And so, you know, my, my look, I, we don't know exactly what the New York Manhattan's uh, district attorney's case is going to look like here. I mean, we don't know what the indictments are. Mm-hmm. Reportedly, they have to do with the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. So you can you can sort of assume from there what we're dealing with. 
And I just think that that ultimately pales in comparison to any potential federal case that may come. Now, look, nothing may come out of that. It's, it's certainly possible that nothing will come out of that. But whatever does come out of it, I think will will end up being colored by this essentially local issue in Manhattan. Makes sense. Well, so that's the question here, Ashley. That, that I'm struggling to understand how uh, a local DA, in this case Alvin Bragg, e- even has jurisdiction. Is this the appropriate venue for a case? Because I thought the heart of the case had to do with with violations of federal election law. And federal elections are governed by federal election law. Even, obviously, uh, those who run for Congress and Senate, those campaigns, those elections, uh, those are under the scope, under the purview of federal law, not state law, or local law in this case. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so the appearance that is naturally going to come from this is that they are essentially reaching into technicalities about the falsification of business records that did occur in yeah. their jurisdiction, even though that's really not the broad stroke of the issue. Because you're right, at the end of the day, it, it appears it is a case about um, about not reporting uh, essentially a, a federal election contribution that was used in, in furtherance of hush money to to stop damaging information to come out in a federal election cycle. And so, you know, I, I don't think the American people are going to necessarily appreciate sort of the technicalities and the minutia that comes with that. Um, and, and frankly, when you've got a special counsel that's been appointed by the, by the Attorney General and the Justice Department that has a broad-ranging investigation, has teams of professional prosecutors and investigators it, it would be nice, in my opinion, uh, for the good of the country and, frankly, for the good of the trust in American institutions to sort of let them take the lead, especially on an issue. Because let's remember Michael Cohen, the president's former attorney, was indicted on a federal indictment for this same issue. He was right. indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney. So, so you got a star, you know, wit- look, a star witness whose credibility was was completely blown. That's right. That's right. And so it's, you know, I just think that for the good of our country, um, a former president and a, frankly, not, you know, besides the fact that he's a former president, he's a current candidate for president, yeah. which in some ways makes it even uh, makes it even more important that we have a very high standard of care and how this is treated, because. You know, it'd be it'd be one thing if if Donald Trump was sort of an also ran that that no one really thought about anymore. It's quite another thing when he is still, for all intents and purposes, the de facto leader of the Republican Party in the United States. And so, what we are essentially doing is we're allowing a local district attorney who represents a small portion of the United States indict a former president and a current candidate for president. Uh, in such a way that essentially he is uh, he is taking some incredible power in influencing the potential outcome not only of the Republican primary but potentially the eventual general election for president. Um, and this is historic. We've never had anything like this happen in the history of the United States. Right. Well, so how do you think this might affect uh, Mr. Trump's chances as a candidate for president? Because this doesn't preclude him from running. 
he still right still qualifies to be on the ballot and run and it, uh, all indications are right now he's likely to win the primary and and certainly in a head to head match polls show right now he beat he beats who is likely to be the Democrat uh, candidate Joe Biden how do you think this affects him. You know, look, he has predicted and people around him have predicted it will help him. Um, I'm not sure if I'm quite ready to agree with that, but I don't necessarily think it's going to hurt him substantially. I mean, let's face it, Gerard, the people in the United States of America have made their mind up about how they feel about Donald Trump. There's probably not any new information that's (laughs) going to come out as a result of this district attorney's case that's going to fundamentally flip people's mind regarding Donald Trump. And so... I think the people that are with him uh, are fiercely loyal to him and are probably going to be even more so as a result of this. The people that are not with him will continue not to be. And, of course, you know, that's where you get into primary politics. Look, a crowded field in the Republican primary benefits Donald Trump. I agree. uh, Because you only need 29, 30, 31 percent to win some of these states. If you've got a field of six, seven, eight candidates, who are all getting 10, 6, 5, 3% of the vote. And so, um, you know, I, look, I think that you, I think anybody that is a, uh, an honest broker in this would tell you that he is clearly the favorite right now to win the Republican nomination for president. Yeah. And the, and the polls, uh, reflect that, uh, for sure. Right. Uh, he's like up by 30 points <laughs> against any other primary opponents, which is mind boggling. It's early, as they say. But uh, if the vote were held today, if the election were held today, I think he'd he'd win the primary, and I I think in a general election he prevails. It's that squishy twenty percent in the middle that can kind of go either way. That uh, where presidential elections are won, as as you well know, Ashley. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for your insight. Thank you, Gerard. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios on midday. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, 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 news. huge, 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 The Dow up 256. That is on the heels of some relatively positive inflation news uh, this morning. I uh, take it for what it's worth, but the personal consumption expense, the PCE, came in below expectations, just slightly. And, of course, in investors see that as giving uh, the Fed the reason to either pause 
or begin to pivot their rate hiking regimen and the market's like that. So the Dow's up 251 at this point, the Nasdaq up also. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. I know lots of folks out there are planning for, thinking about retirement. You need to have a plan. They uh, haven't, haven't been able to get to it this week, but they've consumed some articles the last couple of weeks about just how things have changed with respect to what was once thought to be an adequate nest egg for retirement. Usually, um, it was thought if you had a million dollars going into retirement, saved away in your various retirement instruments, that you were good to go. But there's obviously some question of that these days with just inflation. And so you, the problem, of course, is that you accumulated that money when it was worth a whole lot more. Now with inflation, it's worth less. And it's not like Social Security or PERS or other public pensions where there's just some cost of living adjustment assigned to your 401k plan nest egg, for example. And so that's causing people to kind of rethink. And a lot of people are now saying, i got to keep working longer than I thought. I'm not ready for retirement. We've seen some of the new entrants into the workforce be those who retired during the craziness of 2020, 2021, when asset values were ballooning. And folks were, for example, seeing the value of their homes rise sharply. And they took advantage of that, sold it, produced a bunch of cash, big payday on that, and think, okay, I can retire. Now they're saying, oh, I'm running out of money. i got to get back at it. Nonetheless, it's uh, something we certainly got to think about. So some folks have asked about the statute of limitations with respect to the Trump case, the Trump indictment, Third, 34 charges. So all of those, I suspect, fall under different uh, tests with respect to the statute of limitations. But I, I looked a little bit at this last night, and I guess my first reaction would be, it's freaking complicated. It's brutally complicated. Because there, in New York, there are different statutes with respect to, to limitations and time frames when some sort of act of wrongdoing could be prosecuted, depending on whether or not it's a misdemeanor or a felony. Different or standards. depending on whether or not the state finds, in the, in the case of fraud, if the state discovers the fraud or if the victim discovers the fraud. Right. So a ton of nuances, that's the point, and test. And I wish it was just a simple answer where you could say, oh, it's this many years. Well, it's unfortunately, it's not quite that simple. But what I saw, what I gleaned from reading some analyses from people who are a lot smarter about this than I am, because this is a deep legal question, honestly, is that there's some uh, there's some input regarding when the act occurred and when it got recorded. If in fact you're you're going after you're charging as the DA with falsification of business records. 
That didn't occur when you say, in this case, made the payment. It occurred when you recorded it officially in your business records, which then got reported to the various entities that you have to do that with as, as a normal course of business. So that's, that's what seems to be at play here that gets a little complicated. I wish I could say, yeah, it's this many years, and boom, end of case. If, the, if that were the case, I think this thing wouldn't get as far as it did. I don't think the grand jury would have indicted. I would say to oversimplify it beyond where it probably should be oversimplified, the range for the charges that I could find are anywhere from two years to ten years. I've seen the same. I agree. So it depends on the charges, and it depends on uh, whatever is being charged when it occurred officially as deemed by, I guess, the courts in this case. So, And I'm sure that'll be an argument. Oh, yeah, that'll be a motion introduced by the defense, especially if you can, if they can prove that the statute of limitations for some of these is two years, then pretty sure those are going to get thrown out. No doubt. But, you know, it's customary in indictments by DAs to – you know, throw everything out there. I'm surprised it's not 400 <laughs> uh, charges that are included. That might have been what they started with, and they could only <laughs> indict 30. That could be. Uh, that's typical. Uh, having been a defendant in business, gosh, I I was sued one time. One time, I'm proud to say, in 33 years by a customer, and it was in Tennessee. And, gosh, when we got the, the official lawsuit, the list of all the the laws that we had allegedly violated was it's like five pages, and that's the way they operate. Just yeah, we throw everything in there and see what sticks. And it's all sorts of consumer protection nonsense and garbage like that. None of that stuck because it was all wrong and false and and um, um, illegally alleged, so to speak. It didn't really didn't really adhere to the law. But nonetheless, that's how they operate. Uh, That's pretty common. Let me throw everything in there and see what I can get out of it. But that's, I'm sure, as Rhino says, you know that's going to be front and center in the arguments that they'll try to get certainly um, dismissed right off the bat so they can focus on that which maybe has a little bit more legal legs to, to proceed with in a court, but they'll try to get a summary judgment right off the bat. I'm sure there'll be moves for that. The uh, I just saw a video on the TV here in the studio, the president landing in Jackson, the uh, 747, and was immediately greeted on the tarmac there, coming down the steps off of Air Force One by uh, Mayor Lumumba of the city of Jackson, which I, I think is expected. So that has occurred. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, how many blacks were on the grand jury with no evidence they will indict the way they hate Trump, says Jerry and Ponatot. Well, what I think we can clearly say about it is that we've got a, uh, a, a partisan DA in a, an incredibly deep blue state, an incredibly deep blue city, an incredibly deep blue district, you're likely to get partisan politics injected 
into the entire ordeal. That's a problem. That's a risk. It would be hard to think you could get a fair trial, honestly, given how partisan the area is. I mean, it's not just sort of half-and-half, moderate, evenly balanced. No, it's deep in this particular case. That is a problem. And the DA knows that, clearly. Malcolm from Tishomingo, if this paperwork is supposed to be sealed, how do we know there are 34 charges? Uh, The same way mugshots aren't supposed to get out, but if there is one, you can pretty much guarantee it will get out. And that's been... A topic of discussion as well, has it not, that there's been more learned, uh, more disseminated about this particular grand jury's work than is supposed to be under law. But I think Rhino's right. It's It ain't perfect, and it typically doesn't go down that way. Of course it wouldn't in this case when you got such a high-profile figure as the uh, the person being indicted. Uh, something else that was asked. Oh, yeah, Tim and McGee asked about the statute of limitations. I think Darren and Jackson did as well. Gerard, if this New York DA manages to get any type of conviction, you can bet a Florida or Texas DA will be pressing charges against Biden in two years, says Mose. Yeah, that's certainly a a plausible theory there, Mose. I sort of hope we don't just start playing tit for tat, and because they abuse the legal system, we're going to abuse the legal system. And I'm not saying that would be the case, but I just don't want to see that happen. I I, I want us to return to the way it's supposed to work, which is just blind, impartial justice. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby, it's the guitar man. Gonna steal the show, you know, baby. It's the guitar man. He can make love. He can That's make the great David Gates and Bread. That's my favorite bread song, by the way. William and Brandon says, do you suppose Joe Biden will talk about how he was a victim of the great tornado outbreak in Delaware years ago? Yeah. I see what you did there, William. Nothing would surprise me to come out of the guy's mouth, honestly. I I just, I wonder sometimes how the poor guy functions day to day. Well, you know him and Corn Pop went door to door pulling people from rubble. He said that? No. <laughs> see, I told you I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he what he say he did? Hit doubles off the wall in the congressional game, drove eighteen wheelers, and went to church, and then went to the black church to join with the civil rights protesters every Sunday, right? And never forget the story about the train conductor with the Joey baby. That's right. And his, he and you played the montage of him telling the story of of seeing two men kiss 
And he told that it's like about like fourteen different venues. <laughs> With about four different versions. Exactly. So anything is uh anything is possible as far as what could come out of his mouth. And that is uh disturbing. But that doesn't seem to ever get brought up by the mainstream media for sure. They're complicit in a lot of this bad stuff happening. If Trump goes to jail, does the Secret Service go with him? I honestly don't know how that works. That's a good question. That's Joe from Sumrall. I would wager, not a whole lot, but I would still wager, that if Trump were convicted and it required jail time, he would show up, be booked, and then be released on house arrest. Yeah. (sighs) Imposed and enforced by the Secret Service. It's crazy. Totally. Larry and Ma says, what happens if Trump doesn't show up and Ron DeSantis doesn't extradite him? Well, Trump's already said that he's going to turn himself in, right? Avail himself. I think it helps him, honestly. I think I think he's calculating that it helps him. I think he likes this martyr role. And I think he'll he's like he's like fishing. He's putting the line out there. Well, also holding up in Florida or another state that wouldn't hand him over to New York means he really couldn't go back to New York to handle business and he has a lot of business in New York. Yeah. That's true. He he moves between the two. I will read for you here Governor Ron DeSantis official statement. He says the weaponization of the legal system to advance a political agenda turns the rule of law on its head. It is un-American. The Soros-backed Manhattan district attorney has consistently bent the law to downgrade felonies and to excuse criminal misconduct. Yet now he is stretching the law to target a political opponent. Florida will not assist in an extradition request given the questionable circumstances at issue with this Soros-backed Manhattan prosecutor and his political agenda. I don't know exactly what that means in terms of him being present at an arraignment at this point. I don't know that that requires any particular cooperation or action on the part of the state of Florida. I don't think it does. No. So... I think that's Ron DeSantis also making a statement in an effort to score political points. Good old political patty cake. Exactly. But there's no doubt that what we're witnessing here is a misdemeanor being supercharged as a, as a felony. At least that's what's being attempted, I think, by this DA. And I do believe that ultimately will fail. It is true, an indictment is supposed to be sealed, So, but as Rhino said, lots of leakage around uh, the details here. And it's a concern, but that's the bifurcated legal state that I think we live in. I also think if they're going to rely on this guy Cohen, that's so, I don't think that bodes very well for the D.A., it is disturbing, though, that the left-wing media is celebrating this. This is 
No matter what. I mean, again, that's putting their deep disdain, really just palpable hate for this guy above how this reflects on the country. We got wide open borders. We got rampant crime. We have visitors to this country now that are expressing their concerns. They come here and say, what the heck's going on in this place? I'm scared to death in America's major cities. But if no one's above the law, I'm still stuck scratching my head how no one besides Ghislaine Maxwell has been arrested for Epstein's crimes. True. And she's sitting in jail for sex trafficking, but to who? True. I agree. Joe Biden isn't interested in anything but chocolate chip ice cream. That's on the ceasefire text line. Sure seems like it. Oh, gosh. What else we got here? Oh, weather. You were going to give us a bit of an update, right? Yeah, it seems like it's just getting worse for the prognosis. Um, The latest update from the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency and the National Weather Service has a big pink blotch over northwest Mississippi. And the pink means extreme risk. It's the highest risk they can give besides the potentially dangerous storm assessment. So it looks like overnight, starting about 5 o'clock along the Mississippi River, this line of storms is going to cross into Mississippi and the northwesternmost counties of the Magnolia State are under the most threat for sustained winds, heavy rain, potential long-track tornadic activity. So it's not really what we want in the Magnolia State after last weekend storms, but it would behoove you if you were in North Mississippi to keep your head on a swivel and stay weather aware tonight because it could get nasty. Yeah, gosh, dog. Exactly a week later, and when I looked at the map, I uh, like to look at uh, like to consume what MEMA produces. It shows the level of risk color coded, and what was really concerning the one that showed the entire country that how this storm is tracking across the center of the country, but Arkansas, wow, in the the uh, the highest level threat level. For the most severe weather, and like 90% of the state is encompassed in, in that red shade. Only only the southeast corner is at the next level. Yeah, the potential for severe weather tonight into tomorrow morning, if you look at the, the full map of the U.S., it stretches from Waco up to Detroit, from middle of Illinois down to Atlanta. It's a, a big chunk of the of the country that's... Under the gun tonight. Yeah. Also wanted to share with the audience that uh, you notice that we haven't heard a lot out of our friend Thomas from Greenwood yesterday or or today, and it it turns out that uh, he's on the ground around the uh, areas in the Delta affected trying to restore uh, communication. So we we appreciate his, uh, his diligence there. I know that involves lots of long hours to keep working on uh, all of that infrastructure so folks can get phone and uh, Internet service restored. So just wanted to point that out. And we enjoy sparring, of course, as you guys know, but it's it's respectful and it's friendly. 
I think we generally have the same goals for our state and nation. Sometimes we just see differently how to accomplish that. That's fine. That's that's part of res- respectful democratic discourse, in my view. But I just want to point out, thank you, Thomas, for your service and and uh, and your company for helping to restore telecommunication services uh, in the Delta. That's pretty critical to for life. And on uh, the ceasefire text yeah. line, Tim in Cleveland chimes in that it's already raining in Cleveland. Yeah, there are going to be some Jeez. some patches of rain, but the the bad stuff won't get here till a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, there was something else I wanted to get to. Oh, something that reminded me when Joe from Summerall asked about Trump going to jail. One of the crazy, it may have been Stephen Colbert, he's really having fun with this deal. But last night he said, the J in Donald Trump stands for jail. He needs to hire new writers. <laughs> That's just bad. bad. That doesn't even get a, a rim shot. That's just a wah, 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 wah. <laughs> oh, they think they're so smart, though, don't they? We're coming right back with the final segment before we're out of here for the weekend. Stay with us in the Element Wealth Studios. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Middays. On the ceasefire text line, Kevin and Monticello, most people hate what they are scared of. That's so true, Kevin, and agree. But what are they? Why is the left so scared of us? Well, the left has that reversed. Okay. Because they claim that you are phobic of anything you hate. Okay. I believe that. It just shows how backwards their logic is. That's totally backwards. That's completely backwards. And this this whole transgender deal, I I've said it before. I I think most people, I truly do, think if you want to go mutilate your body and change your sex as an adult, have at it. Just don't brainwash kids. There's time for them to discover this, and honestly, those discussions need to happen at home, not in school. It that's what. I think the vast majority of clear-thinking people on the right who oppose this believe that you want to do it as an adult, go at it. But when you start injecting that into the curriculum and doing these goofy sexual exercises that we discussed earlier, like it's happening in in, uh, Oregon, and every time you want to read a story to a kid, it's got to be done by a drag queen, that's crazy. Just leave all that out of it. Leave the kids alone. There's time for them to 
to experience and be exposed to that. And that, honestly, has no place in school. Certainly, young children. And it's there's clearly there's an agenda there, and the agenda is to indoctrinate them at the young ages so that they they accept and and maybe even want to pursue the lifestyle. No. That should happen spontaneously. Not through coercion, indoctrination, brainwashing. They'll figure it out. It's almost to the point where you feel like they're shaming you if you don't be like them. I saw a report, more craziness, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, this happened just two days ago, violent chaos on campus. It was at an event called Lies Pro-Choicers Believe, a pro-life student event. Students for Life of America stated that the president of Students for Life received an injury to her leg while a fellow student suffered cuts and scratches from aggressive protesters clawing at her. I just sent you the video, Rhino. I don't know if you saw that. Can you believe that? So what it is, folks, we can't play it on the air because... It's got inappropriate language. Because protesters don't have a very big vocabulary. No, it's very short. You can kind of guess what we're talking about. But um, it's fascist go home, Nazis go home, and F pro-lifers. That's their chant. You notice about half of them are wearing stupid masks. Might have to add that to the uh, uniform. I guess so. Power glasses, bangs, facial piercings, and a mask. <laughs> and the hair's got to be colored, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Security tried to assist one pro-life woman in the crowd, but f- people fell against each other because of the press of bodies leading one pro-abortion woman to attempt to argue she may have been assaulted. This is what's happening on our college campuses. This is the tolerant left in action, right? Oh, they're so tolerant of your views. So if you're pro-life, you're a Nazi. You're a fascist. Right. But, again, persuading, coercing, glorifying killing of babies in the womb, oh, that's just perfectly normal. That's incredible that our society has decayed from a moral perspective so dramatically. Terrible. Let's see what else we got. Yeah, Jerry and Waynesboro, I saw this yesterday. General Mark Milley commits to ending Drag Queen Story Hour on military bases. When he was questioned about it, he said... That uh, he didn't authorize it. Didn't acting like he didn't know it was happening. Are you kidding me? I don't believe that. How could you not know that? How could we know it in him? Like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff doesn't know, but we in our little studio here know it. It's the glut of willful ignorance. Mister, well, white rage in the military is our number one threat, not China. 
Oh, no, not bad guys in the Middle East trying to acquire nuclear weapons to wipe us off the face of the earth. Oh, no, it's the white rage. We appreciate you joining us, uh, folks. This week is in the books. We're out of here. Stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.